Welcome to the Boone's Creek Baptist Church podcast. We are a church that exists to spread God's glory from our neighbors to the nations. This is Pastor Tim Wade, and we pray that you will be blessed as we consider God's living, active, and all-sufficient Word together. Right now, I would ask that you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. As you're turning there, I want you to think for just a moment about the most famous or important person that you would like to have a conversation with. And whether or not that person would be interested in having a conversation with you. Right now, I know we'd all like to imagine or, or think that uh, someone like the president or Elon Musk or Coach Cal or Chris Stapleton or whoever your most famous person might be uh, would actually be excited to get to meet you and talk to you. And they might pretend to be for a minute. But how do we think that person would react if we actually began to communicate with them on a regular basis. You know, how, how would Coach Cal react if we began to text him several times a day, hey John, we're grilling up some hamburgers tonight, I hope I don't burn them. Yeah. Or, hey Cal, I've got a big meeting at work tomorrow and I'm a little bit nervous about it. Could you help me with that? Could you offer me some encouragement? You know, we can't do that first because Coach Cal doesn't, care enough about us to give us his phone number to to contact him like that. And second, if we began to contact him like that, then he would surely block us immediately, right? Some of us might be tempted to send our thoughts about how he should be coaching right now. He certainly probably wouldn't take too kindly to that. But the remarkable thing that we need to try to begin to get our minds around this morning is that there is someone far more important and famous than Coach Cal, far more influential and powerful than the president, far more wealthy than Elon Musk. And he is eagerly anticipating hearing from you. No matter the time of day, no matter the issue, how big or how small, the very creator of the universe desires to hear from his people in prayer. Not only does God listen to us when we pray, God wants us to pray. He wants us to cast our cares on Him, as Philip said a minute ago, because He cares for us. He expects us to pray. And right here in Matthew chapter 6, in the very middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches His disciples some truly stunning things about prayer. But before we can get into the familiar Lord's Prayer that we'll start looking at next week, we need to see that there are some prerequisites, some things we need to understand, some things we need to to begin working on in our own hearts before we ever even bow our heads and close our eyes in prayer. And so today we're going to look at at four main points in verses 5 through 8. First, based on Jesus' teaching, we are to pray regularly. Second, we are to pray humbly. Third, we are to pray sincerely. And fourth, we are to pray expectantly. 
And so then if you are able this morning, I would ask that you stand together in honor of the reading of the Word of God as we read Matthew, ch- Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. There we read, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And let's turn now to the Lord in prayer once more. God, as we come before you today, we ask that you would guard our hearts and our minds because we don't want to be like the hypocrites, praying only for the applause of others. We don't want to be like the pagans, praying, heaping up empty phrases with no sincerity whatsoever. But Lord, we desire that our prayers would be heard by you, answered by you, that we would be people who pray faithfully, regularly. (coughs) Lord, as we approach your word this morning, we admit that we need your help. We need your help in understanding what is being asked of us. We need your help rightly applying this to our lives. And so we pray that the Holy Spirit helper that Jesus promised would be with us this morning, helping us along the way. Lord, I pray for myself as my voice is failing. I pray that you would give it strength to endure to the end today. So that I can accomplish the task that you've given me this morning. May you be praised through it all. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, again, here we come to the Sermon on the Mount. We've been working our way through, starting in Matthew chapter 5, through all the Beatitudes and through Jesus' teaching on the law and his teaching on the life of what what the Christian life is supposed to look like. Here in chapter 6, we've already looked at what Jesus expects from us when we give. And we've said that, that... These things that he's describing in chapter 6 are what we might call Christian disciplines. Giving, praying, and fasting. The ways that we are to live our lives, to discipline ourselves in the acts that he calls us to. In the ways that we relate to our God through these actions. And here, we come to Jesus' teaching on prayer. On prayer. Now, we, we will, as I said, get into the Lord's Prayer. We're going to slow down and, and work our way through the Lord's Prayer over the next several weeks. But first, we come to this teaching that reveals to us that there are some certain attitudes that we should have in our hearts as we begin to pray. There, there are ways that we should pray and ways that Jesus tells us here that we should not pray. And so we need to understand this before we just go and jump into it. I, I think... Ultimately, if we think about it, this is the way that the church has operated for a long time. I remember when I became a believer, 
The, the church that I was raised in was a very sweet church with very kind people that I still love very dearly. But, but nobody ever took me aside and said, listen, now this is, you understand, this is how you're supposed to pray. They said, oh, you need to pray. You need to read your Bible. And I said, okay, now lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. You know, is this how you do it? What, what are we supposed to do? But Jesus here doesn't leave us questioning. He gives us instructions, not only about the content of our prayers, which is what we see in the Lord pray, Lord's Prayer, but also our dispositions, our heart attitude when we pray. And the first thing that we see here about this is that we are to pray regularly. Both of these paragraphs that contains teaching about how we are to pray, Jesus starts with the phrase, when you pray, when you pray. Now, this makes it clear that Jesus is expecting his followers to pray. Not only is this expectation made clear, but elsewhere in Scripture, we are commanded to pray and ultimately to pray without ceasing. So that when we fail to pray, not only are we missing out on the blessings of prayer and the fellowship with God that we have through prayer, but we are ultimately being disobedient to Christ. God created the very first people in his image. He created us in his image so that we could have a unique fellowship with him, so that we could communicate with him. Prayer then is our privilege. It is our command. It's our expectation. And so therefore, we must pray regularly. Despite this expectation, though, in the Bible's clear command and the clear teaching to pray, I fear that many people who call themselves Christians rarely spend significant time in prayer. And if they are praying, they're not praying effectively. Now, like I said, many of you probably had an experience like me where you've never actually been taught or told that there's instructions that go along with this. Not just that you should pray, but here's how to pray. You may ask, well, why do you think that? I just encourage you to to look around you. Does it look like we live in a world in which the people of God are regularly sincerely, fervently coming together and praying that God would intervene in the affairs of this world? Do we see the effects of a praying people born out in our community around us? God tells us that through prayer, we have access to infinite power, to the very God of the universe. We have boldness to come before his throne all through prayer. And yet, I don't think we see many mountains being moved. We don't see people coming to know Christ. Like I think we should expect if God's people, by and large, were praying for those very things to happen and praying according to the instructions of Jesus. And so this raises the question, if I claim to be a follower of Jesus, but I don't do what he says, what he expects, I don't follow the example that he set. Can I really claim to be his follower? In other words, if I'm not praying, am I really a believer? What am I believing in? 
If Jesus tells us to pray, and, and it has the power and the potential to change the world around us, to change the lives of those around us for the better, to affect situations, to, to make the gospel uh, proclamation spread to the nations and to our neighbors. And we claim to be his follower, but we're not praying. What does that really say of us? Jesus expects us to pray. Will we? Will we pray regularly, daily, even multiple times a day for the pressing and persistent needs in our lives and in the lives of the Christians around us? (coughs) Will we make communication with God a priority? Again, God made us specifically so that we could relate to and communicate with him. Now, none of the rest of what we're going to talk about when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount will matter if we don't get this point down first. If we're not actually praying, it doesn't matter if we know how to pray. It doesn't matter if we know the content of what's supposed to be in our prayers if we're not already putting it into practice. You know, it doesn't matter if I'm the greatest three-point shooter in the world if I never step foot on the basketball court. Right? That's not me anyway. That's Tyler back there. She saw him yesterday. Right? But, but if we're not actually putting into practice a habit of praying, it doesn't matter if we know how to pray. It doesn't matter if we understand all the intricacies of the Lord's Prayer. So we need to have a habit of praying regularly. That's why Jesus begins with when you pray. That's the expectation. Now I think most of us, we're honest, we want to pray. Or at least maybe you want to want to pray. That's fine. That's a starting point. But there comes a time where we simply have to commit to praying regularly. The second thing that we see here, though, is that while prayer is expected, there's a way that we ought not to pray. Jesus says, there's, there's a type of prayers I don't want you to pray. I want you praying to me, but there's a way that I don't want you to pray. <coughs> there's actually two ways that we see in these paragraphs that he doesn't want us to pray. But first, he says that we ought not to pray to be seen by men. Instead, that means we should pray humbly. Pray humbly. Jesus says, do not pray like the hypocrites. Well, what is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is someone who says one thing, but the pattern of their life shows something else. They claim to be something or to believe something, but they go and do just the opposite. Right? Or a politician. You know, that, that's the easier way to understand this here. Um, I'm just kidding. I know there's politicians here. I love some politicians. Um, But Jesus says, do not pray like the hypocrites. Do not pray like those who claim one thing and then do something else. (coughs) Nobody likes a hypocrite, right? And nobody likes being called a hypocrite. And so how do we avoid being a hypocrite in our prayers? How do we avoid this designation? Well, Jesus says that in his day, and I think even still in our day, 
there are those people who would go to the temple or come to the church and they would pray out loud in order to have their prayers heard by other people. When they pray, they're not primarily talking to God. It may sound like they're talking to God. It may sound like they're they're saying the right words, but really what they're doing in their hearts is they're talking to everyone else. They want everyone else to hear what they're saying because they want everyone else to listen and think, man, what a spiritual person that person is. They want other people to be impressed. They don't care anything about talking to God or even the things that they're praying for. At the end of the day, their motivation for prayer is the pats on the back of the people that hear. What they really cared about was what other people thought about them. Now, as we talk about this, I will admit to you that this is often a struggle that I have to contend with in myself. I have numerous opportunities to stand in front of people and pray aloud. And there's sometimes a sinister desire that pops up in the back of my mind that wants that prayer to be received well by the people hearing it. A sinister desire to have people think, man, he's really good at praying he must be super spiritual and sometimes i'll even dress that desire up in noble intentions i'll think well if i can pray well and if i can string the right words together well maybe that will motivate their hearts maybe that will cause them to want to love god more and that may sound noble but ultimately all of that is wrong because the entire focus of my prayer ought to be god alone Who hears? Everyone else should vanish from my mind as if they aren't even there. God alone should be the object of all my attention and all my affection. The kind of prayer that Jesus speaks about here, the kind of prayer that that seeks to make others think well of me, will never be effective. Because ultimately that's a prayer that's not meant for God. It's a prayer that's meant for other people. It's an attempt to make us look great, not magnify and exalt the name of God. And so God will never honor that prayer. It's why Jesus says here that those that pray that way, they have their reward. They shouldn't expect anything else. They shouldn't expect their prayers to be answered. They shouldn't expect to grow in their relationship with the Lord because they've got the pat on the back that they were looking for. They've already got their reward. So what's the remedy to this? Well, Jesus tells his disciples that what they should do instead is go into a room and shut the door and pray in secret, pray humbly. Now, this instruction would have been a little shocking to the Jews because while they believed that God could indeed hear their prayers wherever, They thought that God was more likely to hear their prayers and their prayers were better off offered in the temple because there they could be closer to the presence of God. But Jesus is telling his disciples, he says, listen, you don't need to come to the temple and stand there in the courtyard and pray out loud for God to hear your prayers. You can go to a secluded, a secret spot and God is big enough to hear and answer no matter where you are. We see this in Psalm 116. There the psalmist writes, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. 
That line right there, I love the Lord because he's heard me. How many of us just love the Lord because he hears us? Man, what what comfort, what hope. But he says, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Here the psalmist speaks about the infinite depths at which God will hear and answer his people, even at the point of death. And I share this particular psalm because this psalm, you might remember, these words may sound familiar, this is the psalm that Jonah prays while he is swallowed by the great fish. There, in utter darkness, surrounded by tons of water all around him in the belly of this foul-smelling fish, waiting to either starve or to suffocate or to be digested, Jonah prays Psalm 116. The words of God come back to his mind and to his lips. And there, beneath the waves, in the belly of a fish, God hears this prayer. And God answers it. And so then, where can you go that God will not hear your prayers? I wouldn't, you know, put Jonah's method to the test. I wouldn't recommend seeing if God can hear your prayers there. He can. But can God hear your prayers in your basement? Absolutely. In your bathroom? In your classroom? In your break room? Sitting on a park bench alone in the woods? Absolutely. There is nowhere that you can go that God cannot hear your prayers. This is Jesus' point. We are free to go into a quiet room. We are free to go and pray where it's just me and God talking. As a matter of fact, Jesus says that's what you should do. You should go where you and the Father can be alone. And you can have this conversation with him in prayer. We don't have to shout to get God's attention. He is always attentive to us. And I love the way this is illustrated (coughs) in 1 Kings chapter 18. This is a story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And you remember there's a little competition here between Elijah and these prophets and And these prophets are all trying to to get Baal's attention. They're trying to get him to answer. And in verse 29, this sad indictment of their prayers, it says, And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. This is what people do today crying out to false gods shouting trying to stir up commotion but there's no one to hear or answer but then you come to elijah's prayer in verse 36 it says and at the time of the offering of the oblation elijah the prophet came near and said O lord god of abraham isaac and israel let it be known this day that you are god in israel and that i am your servant And that I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you have turned their hearts back. 
two verses. A very simple prayer. And what happens? Fire falls from heaven and burns the offering and the ground and the altar and everything around it. Two verses. A simple, humble prayer. I would wager Elijah didn't have to shout it. Elijah offered this prayer humbly and quietly. And the Lord hears and answers. Now, this does not mean... As we look at this and as we think about how we are to pray humbly, this does not mean that we are never allowed to pray in public or that there's never a time or a place for that. (coughs) There are times where it's likely if you are known and recognized as a Christian, there will be times at family gatherings, perhaps even at work gatherings, where you will be asked to pray aloud. Every Sunday we have different men from the church come and pray. We'll have someone pray at the end of this service. Those are public prayers. And so there is time for that. In fact, when we read this text here in Matthew chapter 6, what do we find? This is a public prayer. Jesus says, pray in this way, and he's teaching the multitudes here on the mountain. The prayer that Elijah offered, it was a public prayer. It was heard by all around him. And so this doesn't mean that we can never pray publicly, but when we do, We should be careful to examine our own hearts so that even in a public setting, our focus should not be on those around us hearing our prayers, but on God alone. We saw, (coughs) I think, a, a beautiful example of this earlier in the week. Many of you were shocked and and saddened as we watched Monday Night Football this past week at the very sudden and public and scary collapse of DeMar Hamlin, football player on the Buffalo Bills. But ultimately, as DeMar really nearly died on the football field, his teammates gathered around him and wept and and prayed. Everyone watching suddenly became all too aware that the need of that moment was prayer. And the television announcers began calling people to pray. But the very next day, in a very, what I think was a bold move, a former NFL quarterback and sports commentator, Dan Orlovsky, spontaneously prayed on live television on ESPN. It may not have been the most eloquent prayer ever prayed, but it was a faithful prayer directed toward the God of the Bible. It was a bold move, especially in today's cultural climate. For someone to so publicly address God. Now, I won't pretend to know Orlovsky's heart in this moment. It certainly seemed like his prayer was sincere. But the point is, there is a way of praying, even when your audience is millions of people in a live television setting, that is still a private conversation, a humble conversation between you and the Lord. And so we need to pray humbly. Next, Jesus tells us that we need to pray sincerely. (coughs) He warns us, do not pray like the pagans or the Gentiles, heaping up empty phrases. Now, this kind of prayer is a mere ritual. It's empty without any sincerity. I think, unfortunately, one blatant example of this is how some Catholics will cycle through their prayer brief prayer beads just counting off the number of times they repeat 
the Hail Mary. But we can also find this in Baptist churches as well. Because often we will just simply repeat the same words or phrases because it's what we've heard others say over and over and over again. And we think that's how we need to pray. It's possible that not many of us even really understand what traveling mercies or a hedge of protection is. But we say them because that's what we think we're supposed to pray for. Now, it's not wrong to pray for those things. Those are good things to pray for. But when we do, they ought to be sincere, not just a mere repetition of phrases that we've heard somebody else say. And so we think we need to say them as well. God would be more pleased with you just honestly speaking to him from your heart than with trying to string together just the right combination of words or phrases. (coughs) In fact, when we look throughout scripture and the rest of Jesus teaching on prayer, Jesus invites us to participate in persistent prayer. He tells parables about a widow who constantly goes to a judge seeking relief or about a neighbor seeking bread in the middle of the night. The point is that we ought not to be ashamed to go to God repeatedly in prayer, even praying for the same things over and over and over again. Jesus encourages that type of prayer. In fact, When we look at Jesus' own life, that's exactly what he does in the moment of his greatest distress in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prays over and over, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. But you better believe that that prayer, although repetitive, was sincere. (coughs) So the focus of Jesus' warning here isn't necessarily on being repetitive in our prayers, but being insincere. It's the emptiness of the phrases, the fact that there's no meaning behind them, that we're just repeating words because that's what we think we should do, as if prayer is some sort of incantation designed to twist the arm of God. Jesus sweat drops of blood in praying that repetitive prayer. He was so sincere. And so we need to be wary, not of necessarily just repeating words, but of empty phrases, insincere repetitions. And finally, we can learn here from this introductory paragraph on prayer that we ought to pray expectantly. Pray expectantly. Jesus promises that those who approach the Father regularly, humbly, sincerely, will be rewarded by the Father. And this is contrasted By the rewards that the hypocrites receive. You say, well, what rewards did the hypocrites receive? Well, people thought highly of them. They prayed and people patted them on the back for it. That's what's scary about this is because sometimes we will hear a hypocrite pray. And we'll think, man, that was a good prayer. And we won't know that they're a hypocrite. Because we can't see that in their heart what they really desire is that congratulations from you. Not the will of the Father. But Jesus says those that don't pray like that, those that pray humbly, sincerely, regularly, will receive a reward from the Father. How sad is it then that so many people are praying like hypocrites? How many people are just insincerely repeating phrases? How many people are are praying for the praise of man? How sad it is that an act so full of potential 
for eternal consequence is stillborn because of man's sinful pride. Man, how much do we need prayer in our world today? How much is our world starving and dying for Christians to pray that God would act and move? And yet, for many, our prayers are ineffective because we're prideful. We're not humble. We want congratulations. We're so selfish that we would rather have men's congratulations than see souls saved by God acting and moving through our faithful, sincere, humble prayers. We want pats on the back rather than to see God's will be done in our communities. That is the very epitome of selfish pride. But God tells us that if we avoid those things, if we set those things aside, we can pray expectantly for reward. So what then (coughs) does the one who prays sincerely receive? Well, It could look like a number of things, but I don't think it necessarily means that we get all of our wishes fulfilled. That's not what Jesus says here. We'll talk more about prayer in weeks to come, but Jesus tells us that we will have whatever we ask if we pray in his name, according to the will of the Father. Those are the prayers that God hears and answers. So, some of you may have been praying that you would... Win that mega millions jackpot, whatever it was. You know, you shouldn't because God doesn't tell us in his word that that's his will. That's not according to Jesus name. That's not a prayer that we can expect to be answered. But when Jesus talks about the reward for those who pray sincerely and humbly and regularly. He's contrasting this with those that are seeking to improve their standing in the eyes of men. And so what should the faithful expect that's the opposite of that? Well, they should expect, I think, that their standing would improve with God. We come away relating better, knowing God more, being in closer relationship with Him. (coughs) Just this past week in our upward basketball practices, we had a devotion that taught the kids about Enoch who were told walked with God and God was pleased with him. So he took him. He called him home to heaven. Enoch was in such constant and faithful communication with the Lord that the Lord just brought him home to heaven to be with him. Enoch's reward was God himself and our reward, our intended reward, our desired reward in our own prayers should be God himself. Now, some of you may be unhappy about that. You may be saying, well, wait a second, Pastor, I want you to tell me how I could pray so I could win the mega mega millions. Get that promotion at work, whatever it might be. But I think we think that way because we think wrongly about God. We think that God should be in the business of giving us what we want whenever we want it. But you see, this is silly. Because we don't treat any other relationship like that. Think back, those of you that are married, think back to when you met your spouse, when you first became attracted to them, or teenagers. Think about when you saw that boy or girl that you became somewhat interested in. Right? That person you thought about them. You probably thought way too much about them. 
You may have written them letters. You may have written about them in your diary. People still do that nowadays. Right? You finally work up enough courage to begin talking to them. You find out that, well, maybe they're a little interested in me as well. That's a good day, right? That's some good news to figure out. Now, once you figure that out, you don't say to them, okay, what are you going to give me? Right? What, what presents do you have for me? No, because the relationship is the reward. The time you get to spend with them, that's what gets you excited. Just being in their presence, holding their hand, talking with them. What a wonderful blessing it is to have that relationship. It's the relationship itself. That's the reward. And yet we turn to God and we say, God, what are you going to give me? We we treat our boyfriends and girlfriends, our spouses, with more respect and dignity than we treat the Lord. We treat Him as some sort of cosmic Santa Claus that ought to exist to grant all of our wishes. When He says, I'm offering you Myself, The very God of the universe. The one who spoke your life into existence. You can know me. You can experience my overwhelming love for you. We say, I'd rather have a car. It doesn't make any sense. Think about how you relate to your children. Your grandchildren. We don't love our children or grandchildren because of the things they give us. Right? We love them because we enjoy the time we get to spend with them. And we we enjoy that time because of our love for them. My children, throughout the years, at different times, it seems like all of them have delighted to bring me pieces of gravel. And call it a rock collection. Right? Now, I love those rocks. Not because I necessarily need a pile of gravel in the house. But because those rocks represent the delight of my children that they want to share with me. My children have found something special. They say, Daddy, I've got this for you. I want to show it to you. Those rocks are precious to me. How much more precious then is our prayers to the Father when we bring them to Him? And he says, my reward for you is me. I'm giving you myself. I love you, my child, and I want you to talk with me. I want you to come to me. I want you to bring me your rocks, whatever it is. We get to know and love and to be known and be loved by God himself. There is no possible greater reward than that. But many of us will never be content with this. We won't be content with knowing God, with being known by God. We're not interested in that. We want instead what he can give us because at the end of the day, many people who call themselves Christians are selfish. For many, the whole Christian experience is an exercise in selfishness. You attend church, you give your offering, you even pray Because you're expecting God to somehow reward you, bless you, make you materially better. There are many people who will arrive at the judgment 
still thinking that God somehow owes them something. And they will be shocked to hear, depart from me. I never knew you. If this is you, then I plead with you with all of my heart, repent and trust in Christ today. Know the one who loves you, who gave his life to make you his child, and then who delights to have you come to him in prayer. Ask God to develop a desire for him in your heart so that you seek him as his own reward. And then trust that what Jesus has done on the cross for you is sufficient for your salvation. The reward is far greater than we could ever comprehend. It is God himself. And if you have done that, if you have trusted in Christ, then I would challenge you this week. Before we get into the Lord's Prayer next week, evaluate your prayer life. Ask yourself, am I praying regularly? Is there a consistent habit and pattern of prayer in my life? Am I praying humbly? Or do I pray to impress others? Am I praying sincerely? Or am I just mouthing, repeating empty phrases? And am I praying expectantly? Believing that God does hear, that God does answer, and that God does reward? Or am I just kind of crossing my fingers, speaking my wishes up to the ceiling? Brothers and sisters, if God has given us Jesus to redeem us from our sins and save us from an eternal hell, how much easier is it for him to answer our prayers? And he promises that he will do so. So we can delight in the promises of God and the God that loves us, that knows us, that invites us into sweet fellowship with him through prayer. Let's bow now in prayer. Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you for giving us the wonderful privilege of prayer. For giving us a way to communicate with you. For giving us yourself. Lord, I pray that we would all evaluate our prayer lives and seek to become better people of prayer. That you would reveal to us where our prayers have lacked humility or sincerity or regularity or expectation. And that you would indeed teach us to pray. Lord, help us to be satisfied with knowing you, with relating to you, with having you yourself as our reward. Even as we delight in our spouses and our children and our grandchildren. As we delight in those relationships, let us delight in our relationship with you. Lord, if there's someone here that does not have that relationship, I pray that it would be established today. I pray that they would repent of their sin and trust in the atoning work of Jesus on their behalf. Lord, I thank you for allowing my voice to hold up through the end of this sermon. I pray that you would go with us now as we sing of your praises and as we are later dismissed. Help us, Lord. Sustain us. Love us. And help us to love you as well. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening. If you have questions about today's sermon or would like more information about Boone's Creek Baptist Church, you can send us an email at boonscreekchurch at gmail.com or you can give us a call at 859-263-5466. You can also find us online at www.boonscreekchurch.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.